into Colossians chapter number four. We are wrapping up the book of Colossians here. It's been about a year or so going through it on Wednesday nights as preachers out of town. And I, I have really enjoyed this study. It's, it's been a real blessing to me. And we have gone through some doctrine in, the, in chapter one, chapter two, some things that we're supposed to be aware of and wary of and beware of in chapter two. Chapter 3 deals a lot with the church, how we work with each other in the church, and how we work with and how God and Lord Jesus Christ changes our family as well, family life, and our church life. And then chapter number 4, we are in this kind of ending point here where Paul is wrapping up. He's going to have some greetings to some people that he knows there at the church, the Colossian church there. And then before we get there, so I think maybe just one or two more um, you know, outlines or studies on, on Colossians and we'll be done here. But before he does that, he, he wraps this up here with a call to prayer. Now, he asks them to pray all through Colossians, especially in, you know, chapter one, he starts out by asking him to pray. He starts out by saying, will you pray for wisdom, pray for, pray for this, pray for that, pray for this, chapter number one. And then he wraps up in chapter number four by asking for prayer and look at uh, verse number two. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Um, all right, Brother uh, Ross, would you open us in prayer, please, sir? Now, one of my favorite stories of all time, and it's just a story, it's not a true story, is the story of the two guys, the two shoe salesmen who go to Africa. And I guess this is not a very, uh, you know, a good sermon or a good illustration anymore. They go over to Africa, and they write back home. It's a long time ago. They're writing a letter back home. And they, well, the first one writes back a letter and says, uh, the situation is hopeless. Send us, you know, we need to come back home. None of these folks over here wear any shoes. And the second shoe salesman wrote back home and said, situation is amazing, send more salespeople, nobody has any shoes yet. Two different people, two different outlooks on the very same situation. And that is what I want to start this message here with tonight, because look at this passage. Look at verse number, look at verse number three. Paul is writing this letter from prison. And you know what he's praying for? From prison. He's asking for prayer for. He's asking for an open door to preach the gospel. Now, this, this man is in a jail cell. Not in a jail cell and back in, you know, in a day when they have Zoom and he can jump on a video call and preach remotely to all the churches. He is in a jail cell when there are no phones. There is no any of that stuff. His, the only thing that he has is a pen and paper. And he can write letters. That's all he has. And yet he asks for an open door. He does, you know, he don't notice he doesn't ask for an open prison cell. He doesn't say, I pray that God will open the prison door. He says, I'm praying for an open door to preach the gospel. And that's what I'd like to preach about here tonight. Open doors within closed cells. Open doors within closed cells. You know, it's tempting to lose hope in the world in which we're living in here tonight. Brother uh, Lance just preached a great sermon in the Bible study, and he was talking about uh, some of, you know, how bad the public schools are these days. And he's, he works in the public schools. And he was talking about how they, they have some type of software they put on there that blocks the websites, and they're just receiving hundreds and hundreds of blocked websites every hour from kids who are trying to access bad stuff. And he said, it's just terrible stuff. And, and it is terrible. I mean, it is a bad, bad situation out there. But I, I want to ask you are you, in this, are you in the mindset where you say the situation is bad? Therefore, we need to retreat. 
the situation is bad, therefore no one is going to hear the gospel. Or you're going to say, the situation is bad, therefore these people need the gospel. Therefore it is dark. These people need to hear about Jesus Christ. It's all about just, just what type of mindset that you have going into this. And Paul is a missionary. He has a missionary mindset. And it's very easy for us who are not missionaries to just get complacent and just look around and say and, and see this is wicked, that's wicked, this, is, this door is closed, that door is closed, the circumstance I'm in, the adversaries that we have, all these things are terrible, therefore I'm just going to do my job, I'm just going to come to church, I'm never going to open my, my mouth for Jesus Christ. When what we're supposed to be doing is saying, okay, it's very dark out there. What that means is all I need is a little flashlight and it'll be very bright. You know, if you are a kid in public school, it is very dark. I understand it's very dark. You can be very, very bright in a public school right now. You can be very bright in a public school. Man, it doesn't take an extremely bold witness to really stand out as a solid Christian in a public school. I'm not saying be a mediocre Christian. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, you, can, you can actually do something for God there. You can do something for God. You have an opportunity. And I'm asking you to consider whether you are praying for open doors. What is an open door? Look over at Revelation chapter 3. Throughout the Bible, uh, it talks about open doors. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. And there are several different, now you know that there are several different church ages, right? Several, several different church periods within the church age. Um, seven of them to be, uh, to be exact. The first one starts with Ephesus. The one that we're in right now is the last one. Hopefully it's the last one. Uh, Laodicea, the very last church age where everybody is just lukewarm. And the church is just lukewarm. It's not cold. It's not hot. It's not any of that stuff, right? It's right before Jesus Christ comes back. The church age that he's writing to here is called Philadelphia. The brotherly love, Philadelphia. Look at verse number 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. It says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So he says to this church of Philadelphia here that, that you've got an open, an open door. Where did the open door come from? It didn't come from their own power. It didn't come from their own strength. Look at the passage, verse number 8. It came from them not denying God's word. It came from the word of God. This is where we get an open door from. This word has power. Now, we still have the same King James Bible that they had in the church age of Philadelphia. Now, the reason that Philadelphia just hit like it did in the church is because around 1600, they printed this Bible, and they distributed a printed Bible for the first time. This Bible landed on the world like an atomic bomb landing on this world. You say, Brother Sam, why do we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God? Have you seen what it did? Have you seen the revivals that it caused? Whenever they release the NIV, you know what they release with it? A marketing campaign. And they release a bunch of preachers who get up there and say, you need to put down your King James Bible and pick up the NIV. Whenever they put out the, e the ESV, you know what they release with it? A marketing campaign. You know what they did not have for the King James Bible? They did not have a marketing campaign. What they had was a printing press that could not keep up with all the copies that, that people wanted. It, just, it was printed millions and millions and millions of times over hundreds of years. And even today, do not let people say the King James Bible is not popular. They have done polls on this. You can look this up. Kids who like to Google things, look this up. The people, they've done polls on people who actually read their Bible. And more than 50% of people who actually read their Bible read a King James Bible. They say, for the question number one, do you read your Bible regularly? Most people say no. If they say yes, they say, what version do you read? More than half of the people who read a Bible read a King James Bible. Why is that? It's because these new Bibles are, they, they lack the, the power, the inspiration, the breath of God on them. I'm not saying you can't get saved reading out of one. You can get saved, you know, you can find the gospel in it, within it. But God, has, God, God opened a door mightily in the 1600s when he dropped this, this Bible on the world. And it made this huge, huge impact here. And, and all you have to do is just get in this word, get close to this word, and get it in your heart, get it in your mind, get it on your mouth, get it out, and you'll see the word of God working and opening doors. You'll see it there. It's an open door. Look back over at Colossians chapter number 4. So an open door is a chance to preach. This is what Paul is asking for. He's in prison and he's asking for a chance to preach. An he's saying, I, I want an opportunity to be able to preach the gospel. Why? 
the gospel is, folks, the gospel is it. This is the good news that the world needs. And when you look around and you see the world is wicked and the world is dark, what do you, folks, we have the cure. We have the light. We have the answer for this. This is what the gospel is. Have you, are you praying that God will give you an opportunity to preach? Are you praying? Do you have, can you get that missionary mindset even, even in your own heart, even in your own daily walk with God? Have that missionary mindset there. Are you all all right? I feel like I'm about three levels up on the energy, energy that you all are tonight. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay. You all want to ratchet it down or you all want to ratchet it up? Well, so y'all, okay. All right. So, okay. So I remember, talking about missionaries, I remember um, there's a family over in Rome. They're missionaries to Rome, and they're, the, names, the name of the family is the Homans. Yes, they're the Homans to the Romans. That's the name of that. They put it on their missionary letter. That's a real thing. They didn't make it up. I'm not making this up. So we were over there, and we visited their church. I remember going to visit their church. It was a tiny little church just in a, in a small little nook off of, the, off of the side of the road. And they had this church service. They had been there for years and years, and they had maybe, maybe like this section. You look over here, like this section was the whole church, and they had been there for years and years. And we had the first church service, you know, had the morning church service, and then we talked a little bit, fellowshiped a little bit, and then walked back into kind of like this little back room there, and there was his family and a couple church members with a, just, with ta- with just tables, folding tables spread out, and gospel tracts. And they were folding gospel tracts and stuffing gospel tracts. Folding and stuffing just thousands and thousands of gospel tracts. And we're saying, well, what are you doing? Well, we're making gospel tracts so we can hand them out here. Making them and handing them out. Um, very a sad thing just happened. Some of you all may have seen this letter here. A brother Homan um, just passed away. The father just passed away. Um, I think it was within the last few months. We just got the letter on it. And... You know what's amazing and amazing to me in that letter? That letter said uh, the, his wife, Miss Homan, wrote the letter and said, you know, and, and you all need to pray for her. She's like, we're trying to make all kinds of decisions here. We've, we've never had to make these decisions alone without my husband. That's what she's got in the letter. And she said, um, our two sons have decided to stay on the field and continue the work that their father was doing. They said, if you want to continue your support, we'll give it to the sons, and he's, they're going to pick it, up, pick it up right where their dad left off. You know what they've got? They've got a missionary mindset. They don't want to come home. They don't want to come to, to America and, and sit around and eat cupcakes and drink Diet Cokes. <laughs> you know, they want to fold tracks. They want to see some people get saved. That's a missionary mindset, and that's a mindset that we can have here, too, right where we are. You don't have to go to, to, to Rome, but some of you, God might be calling over the, to a mission field. Have you prayed about it? God might be calling somebody in here tonight to the mission field. Might be saying, you know, putting it on your heart, it's time for you to pray about it. You, 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 can, you say, well, Brother Sam, how do I know, if I, how do I know I'm called? Uh, you'll, never, you know, you'll never realize that you're called if you are not open to it, not willing to, or willing to, to be called. First, you have to have a, there must be a willing heart. Say to God, I, I'm, God, I'm willing to go if you want me to go. And start praying for opportunities. Pray for open doors here. I, we just went over to Australia and met the young family in Australia. They're going to be here, Lord willing, for the Jubilee, by the way. Um, so I'm looking forward to y'all meeting. They're just a great family. He's from Tennessee. He's got a Tennessee accent. And he moved to Australia with, you know, all the Australian down under G'day, mate, accent down there, right? And you would think, you would think, okay, this is not going to go well. This American, you know, country guy from Tennessee with a thick Tennessee accent going over, they're not going to receive it well. And you know what he said? He said, they actually love my accent. He said, I've been able to open up more conversations about God and the gospel because of my accent than I ever would have otherwise, than I ever did in Tennessee. He said, no one strikes up a conversation with me when I'm in Tennessee talking like this. But when I'm in Sydney, Australia talking like this, everybody all all of a sudden wants to have a conversation with me. That's a missionary mindset. That's a man who says, says, I'm I'm not worried about my circumstances. I'm not worried about the fact that, that where other people would say this is a closed door. He's saying, no, this is actually an open door. This thing that I thought maybe was an impediment, maybe maybe this is a reason not to preach. Oh, these people are going to not like my accent. And he's found, because he went through that door, he's found that God is using it. 
So that's the missionary mindset. Are you, are you allowing the world, your flesh, to tell you that you can't preach the gospel to someone because of this reason or because of that reason? Are you allowing that? You might be surprised if you'll open your mouth and, and witness how God will use it. You might be surprised. We went over to uh, Moldova with Brother Hamilton. A few of us in here went over with Brother Hamilton in Moldova. Where is Moldova? It's over there sandwiched in between the Ukraine and Russia and all, all over there, and that's a landlocked area over there. And it's a very, very poor place, and it's just, there's, you'd go over there and you'd think that this is not a mission field because most of them are atheists. They grew up with, uh, with Russian control and grew up with atheism and communism, right? And you'd think this is, this is not a good place to go. Brother Hamilton's over there, and you know what he's got? He drove us to a basement church, a little storefront, walked down in a basement, and there's 20 people there. And he breaks out the, what's that, accordion, and starts playing accordion and singing. And they're belting out hymns, and people getting saved right and left. And then he puts us all on a bus, and he takes us over uh, to some country, you know, I can't even pronounce. And it's very, it's dark, and we're driving for hours and hours. And all of our phones, all of a sudden, the signal drops. None of us have signal on our phone for a long time. And the road starts to get bumpy, and we're, we're going down a dirt road. I mean, it, it, I would not have been surprised if Vladimir Putin himself had jumped out in the middle of the road and threw, threw us in a lake or something. You know, it was like that kind of a deal. And we pull up in this little neighborhood. There are no lights anywhere. I mean, for as far as you can see, there are no lights. That's a, that's a spooky thing. In America, there are lights. No matter where you go, even in the country, you can see lights off in the distance, right? I'm talking no lights anywhere. So much so that we got, they parked somewhere. It felt like they just stopped in the middle of the road and parked, turned the lights off on the bus, on the van that we were in. The lights are off on the inside, all this, and we're just sitting there in the dark, like, where are we? What is going on? Brother Hamilton did not, like, give us a map, and here's where we're going, and here's where we're doing. It was just the middle of nowhere. He could have dri- driven us off a cliff, and we never would have, couldn't, couldn't tell you, I still to this day could not tell you where we were. And all of a sudden, little, Faces start peering through the van window. Little kids are coming up to the van window and looking through the van and knocking on the window and waving like this. Strange thing. I felt like we were in a submarine and there were fish swimming up to the window on a submarine. A very strange situation. And we pop the door open and there's all these little kids. And all these people, like Russian, uh, you know, the ladies with the things on their head and all this, right? And they walk us over to a barn pull back a barn door and turn some lights on in the barn and preacher gets up there and preaches about Noah and the ark. We're sitting on these little wooden benches that they had made. They have these, these you know, Sunday school papers stapled to the walls or taped to the walls. He brought us to a basement. He brought us to a, a barn. He brought us to an attic. He's got a, he's got a house over there in Moldova. And guess, what? guess where his church is? It's upstairs in the attic. He's living there. He's working there. And then on Sunday morning, people just park in his driveway and just walk up the steps to, the, to his attic. And they just have church right there. How many, Brother Sam? A million? No, about this many right here. Right, Brother Haikov? About this many? Is that about right? Yeah. People getting saved. People getting called to preach, going to do things for God. They took us to an attic, a barn, a basement. They took us to an orphanage where nobody wanted these kids and, and we got a chance to preach in this orphanage and, and see some kids hear the gospel in an orphanage. That is the missionary mindset. Hey, are you praying for the missionaries? Are you praying for our missionaries? We've got a missionary wall in the back there. I encourage you to go back there sometime and just spend some time on a Sunday afternoon. Grab your coffee on Sunday afternoon, drink a little bit, and come walk over there and just pray for these missionary letters that are in the back there. That'll be a blessing to you. Pray that they'll have an opportunity to preach. These people have given their lives why do they do that? They, they don't go over there to try to help people live a better life. We're not like social missionary people here, you know? We're not going over there. Brother Hamilton is not over there to try to get these people jobs and get them like, that, that economy is a mess. They, that, we are not trying to increase the, the uh, you know, feather people's nests here on earth. We're trying to say we need to get, get people to heaven instead of hell. And that's what these missionaries are doing over there. Hey, we pray for them. Pray that God will give them an open door to be able to preach. 
They've given their whole lives. We, we should give them a little bit of time. And then pray for an open door for yourself as well. Pray for an opportunity. Look at verse number 5. Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse number 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Those are the people that are not saved. Without Christ. Without our church. Outside. Outside of the faith. Outside of what, you know, what, what we know. Outside of Jesus Christ. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That is for us. So Paul prays not just for boldness and an opportunity for him to preach the gospel, but he's, he turns that around on the Colossian church, and he says, you've got an opportunity to preach as well. He says, you've got an opportunity to preach to people who are outside of the church, who are outside of the faith, who are outside of Jesus Christ, who are strangers, who are aliens to God. You've got an opportunity to do that. Have some, have some grace. Have some, uh, have, have some salt, some seasoning there. Know how you ought to answer them. Have some wisdom there. Are you praying for an open door for yourself to preach? Are you praying for an open door for yourself? I, I'm fascinated by how Paul takes this positive outlook when he's in prison. He's in bonds. And he's saying, hey, full steam ahead. Just imagine for a moment that you got arrested for preaching and you're literally just in a prison cell. Imagine the, the, the mindset that's, that, that sinks in, the possible just depression, the possible just hopelessness and despair and God, what are you doing with me and why are you doing this? And you've stopped, I'm try, I'm, all I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to do something right for you and you're putting all these blockers in front of me. And that wasn't Paul's mindset at all. He said, man, he's, he's praying for open doors, even in a room full of bars and chains. See, where we see reasons not to preach, Paul sees opportunities. Where we make, make, have all of our reasons why we don't witness, Paul sees opportunities. Look at verse number three. It says, With all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds. You see, adversaries, look over at 1 Corinthians 16. Adversaries are not closed doors. What we, if, if we're not careful, what will happen is we will say, well, there's just not an open door. There's just not an opportunity. It's kind of a pious reason to shut our mouths. Amen? We all, we, we, look, we don't... <laughs> If, you, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you don't sin and say, I know that I'm sinning, this is what I'm doing. We justify it, right? We have justifications for our sins. And so what we do is we look and we say, now, maybe God just hasn't given me, and I haven't preached because God hasn't given me an opportunity to. I haven't witnessed because God hasn't given me an opportunity to. And, you know, I'm praying that God, that God will give me an, an open door, but there's just no open doors. And sometimes we look at adversaries, people who are trying to stop us from preaching, and say, well, that is, that is you know, a closed door. But to Paul, an adversary was not a closed door. It wasn't a closed door. Um, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Look at verse number 9. For a great door ineffectual, that's an effective door, is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So in spite of the fact that there were adversaries, he still said that was an open door. So we've got to take that excuse away from us. If there are people who are trying to get you to stop preaching, that does not mean that you are facing a closed door. That means that you're facing an adversary. And an adversary is not a closed door. It's a chance for you to get stronger. An adversary is not a closed door. It's a chance for you to get stronger. When you go up, some of you guys play sports in here, you go up against an adversary, this is not... You, you go up against a team, and uh, wow, we, uh, I coached Judah's baseball team last year, and our season, we went one and nine for the season. <laughs> one and nine means one win <laughs> and nine losses. It was a painful season. But let me tell you, that one win was one of our last games of the season, wasn't it? You remember that? So we went like zero and eight at first. And every single game, after the game, the kids got a little bit better and a little bit better. I mean, the team, there were, a lot of the kids had never played before. I mean, they were 
they were like, it was like, you know, it's rec t-ball, or not t-ball, but like, you know, minor league kind of like little kid baseball. This, stand up for a second. This size baseball, <laughs> right? <laughs> a year ago. And uh, a lot of them had never played before. And so they were just learning how to, how to I mean, one of the guys who had the best batting average on the team, uh, he had the best batting average because he kept getting hit by the ball and, getting, and walking to first base. <laughs> His on-base percentage was the best on the team, and we eventually had him being the first batter because, I, I don't know, he, just all, he was like a magnet for the ball. It just hit him every single time. Um, bruises all went <laughs> uh, It's the little kids. It, wasn't, it didn't hurt him that bad. But anyway, he would always get on base, and it was a great deal. But that was, that was the team. It was very Bad News Bears-ish uh, or Sandlot or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, but after every single game, the coaches would say, listen, you, this is what they did and we need to work on this this week. And then we worked on it and they got a little better. This is what they did and we need to work on this. Oh, you know, you see they've, got a really, some, they've had some really strong pitchers. They're pitching faster. We're swinging too slow. We're going to get in the cage and throw some really fast pitches at you so you can get your, your, your swing speed up, right? This is your adversary. It's a chance to get stronger. This is your adver- adversary. It's a chance to get stronger. Now, I'm sure there are kids who go through a season like that and say, these are my adversaries. I'm quitting baseball and never playing again. I'm no good. I, this is a sign from God that I should not be playing baseball. We're 0-8. But let me tell you, when we won that last game, that was I mean, you would have thought this, these little kids had won the World Series when we won one game. They were jumping all over the place. They were excited. They were all getting ices from the, the, the store afterwards. It was amazing. It was awesome because they kept on in the, through the adversity, through the people that were trying to stop them, they kept on and they learned how to be stronger. And so some, some of you, maybe you've tried to witness and you've gotten shut down. And you, you started to witness, and someone said something to you that really stumped you. I don't know how to answer that. And you can take that two ways. You can say, I'm quitting baseball altogether. Or you can say, I need to go and I need to study a little bit. I, I just dealt with somebody who knew their Bible better than I do, and they shut me down. I talked to an atheist. Man, this guy just, he knew the Bible better than I do. And so you can look at that and say, this is, these, are, these, are adversaries, these are people that are shutting me down. I need to quit altogether. Or you can say, I need to get in my Bible. I need to learn how to have some more wisdom with people that are with that. I need to learn how to have a little bit more grace, a little bit more. I need to learn how to talk to people in a way that they're going um, to hear a little bit more. Hey, what's, what's the, what are the adversaries doing to you? Are they, are they causing you to stop? Are they causing you to study? Are they causing you to get closer to the Lord? He says in verse, turn back over to Colossians chapter 4, and while you're turning over there, I'll read it to you. Um, He says, grace, seasoned with salt. It'll help us, adversaries will help us have some wisdom in our approach, some wisdom in our tone. You know what I love about our church? This is a welcoming church. It's It's a comfortable church. It's not the type of place where we just say, bless God, come in here, and we don't care if it's comfortable or not, we don't care what, no, like, the preacher, Ms. Peacock, the deacons, the trustees, they've worked hard to try to make this a comfortable place. What they've said, they've said, we're not toning down a message at all. And preacher's not up here saying, I'm going to change my message in order to make people comfortable. But we are going to make sure the pews feel padded to sit on. You know, we're going to make sure the AC is running. Is the AC running? <laughs> we're going to make sure the AC is, you know, we're going to make sure it's kind of comfortable so that we can have some wisdom with people. We can have Grace seasoned with salt. Hey, that's a good thing to do. You, you face that adversity. Kids, you're going to school. I've talked about public school a little bit. You're facing that, advers- uh, that adversity. Use it to learn how to, how to be a better witness. Use it to learn how to have a little bit more grace and a little bit more seasoning. It's one of those things where you, you know, the first time you cook, you're terrible at it. <laughs> you're awful at it. I remember... Tara, um, so those of you who are new, Tara's my wife, and she, we, I was in Pensacola, I was 19 years old when we met, or 18 or 19 years old when we met, and I was renting a room in this house, and she came to Pensacola for a blowout or something, and I was going to make her dinner. So I, I made dinner for her, I made like spaghetti or something like that, it was pretty bad, um, but I, I found out that her favorite dessert was peanut butter cups, Okay? 
She likes peanut butter cups. If you want to get on Tara's good side, give her a thing of peanut butter cups and say, hey, I just thought you'd like this. You know, I don't know. I thought about you when I saw it. And she'll love you forever. Peanut butter cups. That's all it takes, right? Well, I didn't just go out to the store and get her some peanut butter cups. I decided I'm going to make peanut butter cups. I'm going to make them at home. These are, how hard could it be, right? You whip up some peanut butter and chocolate, mix it together, and put it in a cup. I mean, it's not, it's not the most difficult thing in the world, except I read the recipe wrong. And I put, instead of putting a cup of sugar, I put a cup of salt. What, what kind of moron, by the way, has any inkling that any recipe would require a cup of salt? I mean, what, what, how stupid do you have to be? <laughs> that stupid. I'm not exaggerating. It was a cup. I just, it was like, you know, one cup S. And I'm like, it's got to be salt, right? (laughs) So, you know, we had dinner and uh, I'm trying to impress this girl so she'll marry me. And we've got, I got spaghetti that was not that great. And then I've got dessert. Okay, but the dessert's going to be good. Um, If you've never made something before, try it before you give it to the person. Don't. Don't make your, don't make, guys, don't make the girl that you're dating the guinea pig for your cooking. That's a bad idea. You need to try it out before you give it to them. I, we, we both bit into these peanut butter cups at the same time. And it was, man, it like turned our heads inside out whenever we, whenever we ate it. She was so kind. She tried to act like it was okay. You know, she, this is good. Mm. Wow. Man, it was rough. I've only then, she's like, so what did you put in these? (laughs) Well, here's the recipe. Uh, Oh, I think that was supposed to be sugar, not salt. Um, I I think that, you know, what what Paul says here is grace seasoned with salt. Because a lot of us are, are, the way that we are, we will hone in on that word salt and say, here, we're supposed to be salty. Salty witnesses. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we're supposed to be salty witnesses. But because we are salty men, <laughs> we read into it. That's called eisegesis instead of exegesis. We're reading into it instead of reading out of it. We're reading into it our own heart. And we say, there, Paul said we're supposed to be salty. No, sailors are supposed to be salty. Christians are supposed to be seasoned with salt. Season with salt. And that means, uh, that means that when you are talking to somebody, you say, how much salt does this person need? Because this person takes a little more or a little less salt than this one does. This person wants a little bit more than this one does. Okay, white people need very little salt, and black folks like a little bit more salt. <laughs> this, is, this is the way it goes, right? This, they, say that, they say that white folks, the, our food is bland, <laughs> right? <laughs> like potato salad with no... <laughs> Brother Mark is laughing upstairs. I got you. All right. They say, our food is bland. It is bland. If you want some really good food, go to a black restaurant where some black folks are cooking. You will have some flavor in your food. Instead of, instead of white folks. Like the Mitchell's Fish Camp, the, the Mitchell's Fish Restaurant, the seafood place at the town center. Absolutely no flavor at all in their food. I don't know what's going on there. The food is good, but there is no salt used in the food at all. So you have to, you know, you have to, but you know what a, a good cook will do? They'll season it about middle, and then they'll put a, a salt shaker on the table and say, if you want a little bit more, you can add a little bit more. That's, that's fine. Um, that's, that's, that's what we do. Because, because everybody's taste is a little bit different, and somebody, you know, some folks you may need to be a little saltier with. Some folks, they've, they're kind of calloused, and they require a little bit more, a little bit more direct language in order to get them to hear. And other folks, if you use that direct language, you'll break them. And you'll, they're just, they're very sensitive. They're very, and those of you who are parents, you know the kids are like that. The kid, every kid is different. Some kid, you got to be stern with them. you got to look them in the eye and say, sit down, I told you, and use their middle name a lot and all that stuff. And then some people, if you do that, they, you'll, you'll break their spirit. And they're, it's a bad deal. And they'll start turning bitter against you. They'll be angry against you. You'll lose their heart. You'll lose, uh, and as soon as they're 18, they're gone, man. You know, so that just like kids, everybody's different. And having some people that are against you, they're saying no. You say, oh, I witness, and they're, they're rejecting me. Well, that will help you to be a better witness. 
It'll help you to be a better witness. Look at verse number three. So we see that the adversaries are not a closed door. They're a chance to get stronger. Verse number three, uh, circumstances. He says, for which I'm also in bonds. Circumstances are not closed doors. They're, they can be opportunities for God to do something amazing. The fact that Paul is in prison and he is able to get this letter 2,000 years later, we are reading a letter that he wrote in prison, folks. That is God doing something. Now, he could have been in that prison and said, this is a closed door. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to try not to get bitten by a rat tonight when I sleep. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to do what I can. And I'm going to see how God works in this thing. God can open a door in whatever room you're currently in, folks. Whatever room you're in. You, so you might say, well, I'm a, I'm, I've been working from home and I just don't get a chance to talk to people that much anymore. Well, God can open a door for you in that room. You say, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I just see toddlers all day, and that's all I see. Well, if you'll pray, maybe God will open a door in there. And then when he does open a door for you, you'll, you'll say, this was God doing something. This was, an, this was a miracle of God, because this is not a good situation to be able to witness to somebody, but yet here I am. Miss, uh, Miss Barbara is not able to travel all over the world and be a missionary anymore, but when we went to Australia, a lady gave us some like chocolate, some gifts, for Miss Barbara, said, could you please bring this to Miss Barbara? Why? I, be, I don't know. <laughs> That's God. I know that. That's what's going on. God is doing that. God is, is, is helping her to be able to get the, the testimony out further than she ever would have been able to do on her own. I know that much. When Daniel went in, into exile, um, he was able to, I mean, you'd think that that would be the worst possible time for, to be a prophet is in exile. He's in Babylon. Yet, that's one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. Daniel in the lion's den, right? The, the three Hebrew children in the fire. Some of the, some of the most amazing stories in the Bible are the ones where there is a tremendous, a tremendous block from being able to do anything. The circumstances are terrible. And yet, God does something amazing. Those are the best things, right? That's the isn't it great when someone uh, gets up to preach and God moves on this person and it's not because they're a naturally great speaker, but just because the Holy Spirit of God moved on them? You say, well, I'm not a naturally great speaker. Well, then you are the type of person that it will be a, a blessing, an extra blessing, whenever God uses you. Amen? Amen. The... Uh, the extraordinary things, the extraordinary things, those are not, uh, there, are, there are miracles that we, that we see all around us all the time. But the plain fact is, because we see them all the time, we don't think that they're miracles. Have, have you ever watched like a meteor shower? And you go out to watch, you know, shooting stars at night. You find out on, online or on the news that there's going to be a meteor shower tonight. So you take your kids out there and you lay down in the driveway and you turn the lights off in the house and you look up at the stars and you see them and they're raining down. In the first few minutes, it's a miracle, you know. The first few that you see, their kids are excited and they're, it's the most amazing thing. You realize how small we are that we're just like hurtling through space on this little rock and there's, we're being pelted with with uh, meteors all the time, right? It's an amazing thing. It makes you, gives you perspective. It gives you perspective how God, big God is and how small we are, and it gives you perspective. It makes you love your family, and I'm just so thankful for this, and this is just a miracle. And after about 10 minutes, it's like, is, this, is it ready to go in? Are we ready? It's time to go in, isn't it? It's hot out here. There's mosquitoes biting me. And uh, if you've seen one shooting star, you've seen them all. You know, the sunrise is an amazing thing. But because it happens every day, we just think it's normal. A beautiful sunset, it's a, it's a miracle of God. But because it happens every day, we think it's just a normal thing. There are miracles happening all around you that we just think are just normal things. You have, you have kids, it's a miracle. You have a family, it's a miracle. You have a church, it's a miracle. You have, you have this, this Bible, it's a miracle. You hold this in your hands, it's a miracle. Yet we, because we have it every day, we don't see it. Um, you know, you may say, my circumstances are not such where I can be a good witness. Your circumstances are such to where you can see a miracle happen if you'll let God do it. If you'll pray that God will give you, a, will, will 
give you um, an, an open door to be able to do that. Look at verse number 4, Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse number 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then it, over in Ephesians, he says um, that I may preach boldly as I ought to speak. He's saying I, I need some boldness to be able to do this. So I know for a lot of us, it's just a matter of fear. It's just a matter of fear. There's a joke where the guy says, they say that um, they did a poll. They found out among people's greatest fears, the fear of public speaking is the number one fear that most people have. And the fear of death is number two. (laughs) He says, so that means at any given funeral, people would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. That's, That's where people are. The fear of public speaking. The fear of saying, that's a good joke. The fear of, the fear of did, you, did you get it? In any funeral, they'd rather be here than here, right? That's, 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 that's so true. Because you open your mouth to talk to somebody and you're just, I don't know what it is. There's this, there's this wall that stops you from saying something, right? But you have everything you need. You just need to take the step and open your mouth and say it. You just need to open your mouth and say it. We went to camp a while ago and Brother... Um, Isaiah, Miss uh, Owen's son, Zach, was there. This was back before he was huge. This was back when he was a little smaller than me, actually. Um, all the kids are smaller than me at some point. In about sixth grade, they've all passed me. And so anyway, he, he was about this big. He's a, he was a little kid, cute little kid, and um, funny, just absolutely hilarious. Uh, they came to youth camp, and we had the blob at youth camp. The blob is... One of the greatest things that's ever been made. It's a giant pillow, basically, about as big as this whole section right here. But it's this giant pillow, uh, nylon thing or like plastic thing. And one person sits on one side and sits there. And then the other person jumps off a platform as high as that balcony and lands on that side. And the air shoots across the pillow and shoots the person 20 feet in the air. It's a great time, right? Um, it's, it's wonderful. They, they have taken them out of every camp that we've been to because I guess people are like getting whiplash or something or not, not exactly safe. <laughs> they've, ruined, they've ruined everything with the safety. <laughs> ruined it all. We have to wear seatbelts now. We can't put the kids in the back of the station wagon and let them bounce around. We got to, what is going on with the world? They have to wear helmets now and they can't have a blob. Anyway, so uh, Zach was standing on this platform we had gone to camp. We had rented a bus. We had rented the youth camp. We had, everything was set. There was a kid sitting on the end of the blob, and he was standing there. He had his shorts on and his T-shirt, and he was looking down over the side. Everyone standing behind him saying, go, Zach, go, Zach, go, Zach, go. And he is not going. <laughs> he is frozen on that platform. And, and finally, you know, they start yelling at him, go, go. And he turns around, shut up, just shut up. I mean, he's starting to. Got to freak out a little bit. Stop it. Just stop. Just stop. I'll go when I want to go. And he finally just was like, I'm not doing it. He turned around and walked off. And he's like, I'm not, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. And I, but y'all know how he felt, right? You get to the edge of a platform. Y'all been to like Strickland's back in the day or whatever when you had those plat- platforms there. And there's, what is that wall that you just, you've got everything you need and you know you're not going to get hurt, but you just, just to take that step. All you need is some boldness to take that step. And that's where prayer comes in and say, I just need some boldness to be able to take that step. Um, over in Acts, I think it's 4 or 14, they say that they witnessed that Peter and the apostles had boldness. And they said, how, do, how is it that these normal, regular Galileans have such boldness? It says they perceived that they had been with Jesus. So spending some extra time with the Lord Jesus Christ... Spending some time in prayer. God, give me boldness to witness to this person at work that I've just got this wall about opening my mouth and talking to him about. That is what you need. Just need some boldness. Spend some time with Jesus Christ in prayer and pray for that boldness there. Are you with me? All right, I think we're almost done here. Fear is not a closed door. It's a chance for some courage. Circumstances are not closed doors. They can be opportunities for God to do something miraculous. Adversaries are not closed doors. They're chances to get stronger. Look at verse number five. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And I like to say that distractions 
are not closed doors, they're a chance to do something more important with our life. If there is anything in America in 2023 that stops us more than anything else, it's just I forgot because I had so much else that I was doing. Oh, yeah. I was going to witness to that person. But I got distracted. And Paul says, redeeming the time. Buy back that time. Buy up that time. Make full use of it. We go out there in the world and do a loop and then come back to church. What did you buy up in that loop while you were out there? What did you redeem while you were in that loop out there? Um, you all ever played Monopoly and go around the board? The first, there's two types of Monopoly players. The ones that start off by saving all of their money and they go broke in about four, four or five rounds. And then there are others that go around the board and they buy every single property they land on. Right? Y'all know that's the, that's, the, that's the move in Monopoly. Kids, you play Monopoly, that's the move. You buy everything that you land on because the game is called Monopoly. Monopoly. It's not called Renter's Paradise. It's called, <laughs> it's called Capitalist. <laughs> you know, it's, it was made by some communist to try to teach us the, the evils of capitalism. <laughs> it's made to teach us that capitalism ends with one owner and the rest of us broke. <laughs> that's what... That's what the game was for. I'm a capitalist. I want you to know this. I, I say so much against it. I own a business, okay? I am a, don't, don't get scared. I am a capitalist. I, I get nervous because I, I throw off on capitalism so much. I, but we're in, we're in a capitalist society, so I have to throw off on it. We're not, there's no communists here, are there? Anybody a communist? All y'all are capitalists, right? Well, I'm going to preach to capitalists. Don't be so stinking greedy, capitalist. Right? Okay, that's, uh, that's where we're at. What are we talking about? When you go around the Monopoly board, the idea is you buy up. You, you, if it's your turn, you take advantage of that turn. And if you let turns pass and pass and pass, sooner or later you're broke and out of the game. And this is the way it is with us. You take a turn out there in the world. Come back to church here on Wednesday night. Hey, what did you, how did you, how did you, did you redeem that time on Monday? Did you redeem that time on Tuesday? Redeem that, time, redeem that time today. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to say, you know, we've got to redeem the time. Can I, can I take a look over Ecclesiastes chapter number 7? I've got to go on a little bit of a rant here. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Will you all give me a little bit of room for a rant? All right. I know that the time that we are living in is wicked. But this is the time that we have. I know that the days are evil. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. But this is the time that we have. Redeeming the time. This is the time that God has given us. And if we're not careful, what we will say is, oh, the world is so wicked and so evil that there is nothing that can be done about it. You know, things have never been as bad as they are now. And that may be true, but it may not be true. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Look at verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days, happy days, good old happy days, all the good old days were better than these. Say not thou, he says. Why is it that the good old days were so much better than these days? Have you all ever seen that before? That's, that's crazy, isn't it? It's so easy to say, man, the good old days. Back in the good old days when Billy Graham get up there and preach and people would flood the, the aisle. These days, these days you preach and just nobody comes down here, but we might as well just go fishing, you know. I go a fishing. Look at verse 10. What is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You see that? He says in verse number 10, don't say that. Don't tell these kids that the good old days were so much better than our days. You have no idea what those days were like. The only days that we have are these days. This is the time. Don't tell them we can't see a revival in our church these days. Don't don't tell me that we can't have revival in our church. Sure we can. Absolutely we can. 
Don't tell me we can't see people get saved in our day. Absolutely we can. Don't tell me that, you know, we, oh, you should have been here 20 years ago. No, I'm, I wasn't here 20. I'm here now. And, and, and by the way, so I, so I, I printed, I'm not going to read all this. I've, I underlined a few of these. This is Matthew Henry, who was a Puritan in the 17, I believe, 1700s. And this is what he wrote about this verse. He said, it is folly. So please excuse the, the language. You're going to have to really listen. It's written in kind of King James English. Okay? He said, it is folly to complain of the badness of our own times when we have no more reason to complain. Excuse me. It is folly to complain of the badness of our own times when we have more reason to complain of the badness of our own hearts. If men's hearts were better, the times would mend. And when we have more reason to be thankful that they're not worse. But that even in the worst of times, we enjoy many mercies, which help to make them not only tolerable, but comfortable. It is folly to cry upon the goodness of former times so as to derogate from the mercy of God to us in our own times. Did you get that? Cry upon the goodness of former times and we're thrown off on the mercy of God that's happening to us in our own times. As if former times, as if former ages had not the same things to complain of that we have. Or if perhaps in some respects they had not. Yet, as if God had been unjust and unkind to us in casting our lot in an iron age compared with the golden ages that went before us. This arises, Matthew Henry says, from nothing but fretfulness and discontent in an aptness to pick quarrels with God himself. God has always been good. Men have always been bad. And if, in some respects, the times are now worse than they have been, Perhaps in other respects, they're better. That's a, that's a good way to look at it right there. John Wesley said, This is an argument of a mind unthankful for the many mercies which men enjoy, even in evil times. This question shows the folly in contending with the Lord, in opposing thy shallow wit to his unsearchable wisdom. And then another man said, The dreamy admiration of antiquity is the refuge of weak minds, the futile justification of their discontent. Consider that thou knowest the evils of former times only by report, whereas of present ills thou thyself feelest the pressure. This feeling, this feeling, thy judgment, is liable to be perverted. It says the sight of the eye is more impressive than the hearing of the ear. So we just hear how the old days were. But we see how these days are here, so we feel like it's so much worse now because we see it and we feel the pressure of it. But we have no idea what the old days were like. I'm going to read you some stories out of Kings where these guys were doing some terrible, terrible things. Terrible things. Don't, don't look back and say, you know, only, if only the old days, if only the old days. No, you know what? We've got a new building going up here. The future looks bright. Jesus Christ if, we, if this is, these are the last days and we're hanging on by a thread, that means that we possibly could see the rapture in our lifetime. That is, that is an amazing, amazing thing. And also, when we see that, that, that times are very dark, we can pray and we can see God getting people saved, and it's not like a shooting star that we've seen 15 of. It's just the first one we've seen in a while, and it's a blessing to us. And it's more of a miracle when someone walks the aisle and gets saved here. When someone stirs the baptismal waters, we get to appreciate the miracles of God more. If we will look at it and say, God, give us an open door in a prison cell and not complain about where we are and not use it as an excuse to shut our mouths, but to take it and say, be thankful for where God has put us. Be willing to pray and use the opportunities and the open doors that God's put in front of us. Amen. All right, that's Colossians chapter 4, and we'll wrap up the rest of the chapter, I think, in the next uh, Bible study here. Let's go ahead and stand.